welcome to episode 36. Great. Okay, you're going to make me start off with... It's too long of a pause. We need to like... We're getting close to 40. Man, I'm excited about tonight because I actually didn't have to hardly do anything to get ready. Because we have a special guest tonight, folks. It's your co-host. Cammie Cammie. Crawford. You're listening to the Fight for Together podcast. Alright, what do you guys think about our new old intro? We're going retro. (laughs) Okay, so... Let's light up some cigars here before we get too far into this. Good call. And maybe we will um, talk a little bit about what we hope this podcast is about. This podcast is about us sharing about what we're thinking about in all areas of life, adventure, parenting, faith, family, and things that we consider to be related to social relationships um for the future so we do not have a requirement at all that you would like (coughs) want to agree with us um that's not even like our hope our hope is that you would be challenged to engage in conversation with people around you that you care about and even us maybe over the comment section because we'd like to hear your thoughts too and continue to engage in the conversation Pause while we light our cigars. Pause while Cammy lights her second cigar of the day. Not judging. Trying not to judge. That's why you have to <laughs> remark about it. Trying, trying mm. unsuccessfully not to judge. And tonight we're going to be doing um, a book review. Okay, so... I get it. We are obsessed with sex, so we talk about it a lot. And faith, because it specifically pertains to our background and our interests. Hang on. Oh, yeah, that's good. And my hope is that, um, well, here's what I think. Whether or not you come from a church or the same background we do, my guess is you've been impacted by this line of sexual thought, religious sexual thought, because America is just kind of that way. It was founded on a lot of these same principles, I think, of, well, pure, like puritanical. So I don't care if you're religious or not, or ex-religious or not. I hope this conversation will help further that conversation. So without further ado, oh, you know what? Scrap that. We got some news. All right. We have a news article fresh in. Headline, judge allows parents to use dead son's sperm to make a grandchild. Huh. This is from the Rogue Rocket. I don't know what that is, but I think it's legit. Bullet point number one. A judge has, judge has allowed the parents of a deceased West Point cadet to use their son's sperm 
for reproductive purposes. Okay, so the guy died. I'm not sure how. Mm-hmm. Um, and they like he was an or- organ donor. Skiing accident. Oh yeah, so so he was an organ donor. So they mm-hmm. kept him alive for a couple of days, I think, in a vegetative state. Mm-hmm. And the, while a judge, and there was like no, um, there was like no will that gave them permission, except for he had written a paper when he was in college saying that he like wanted to have a wife and kids. So then they like jacked his sperm. But maybe not have kids if he's dead. Yeah, seriously. Like but that's kind of weird. Okay, second bullet point. The family claims their son dreamed of having kids and says this will allow for his legacy and family name to be carried on. This is like Game of Thrones shit. Sci-fi. I know, I was going to say, it's uh, a mix. The ruling has raised several ethical concerns over whether or not it is okay to posthumously reproduce without someone's consent. Yeah, you think? Wow. Hmm. What do you think about that? That's weird. Yeah. Um, it's it is weird. I mean, I feel for the parents. Like, I feel. I don't know. Like, how much are they actually doing this for him, and how much are they doing it for themselves? They're doing it for themselves. They talk about legacy, though. <clears throat> I guess that's, that's their legacy too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, it just, I don't know. I mean, so it's one thing, like, you know what's tragic is when you hear about this, right? Like, a chick gets pregnant from a dude, then the dude goes off to war and dies, right? And then the baby has no dad, and that's, like, tragic, and everyone kind of mourns that. Mm -hmm. Well, in this case, you have the choice up front. You're making a kid from the beginning that doesn't have a dad, never had a shot at a dad. That's so weird. The dad wasn't alive when the they're conceived. Well, not to mention, aren't they the ones that are going to raise the kid? So then the kid won't actually have be with their mom either. It does. I don't even know if it says that. I mean, I oh, actually okay. haven't read the article. I, I read a report on it, and I'm just reading the headlines here. Yeah. I, some people would say, well, that's more than a lot of kids have. <laughs> but you don't actually make it happen yeah you don't make i mean if your biological clock is done you can't you can adopt kids you can i guess try and figure out the science with your own body whatever other options are there Mm -hmm. you can do foster kids or whatever but to make i don't know to me this is like an obsession with legacy bloodline yeah. Like I said, this is like Game of Thrones shit. This is like um, we need our clan to exist in its purest form for all time or something. Watch the kids a girl, and then they're like, dang it. She can't get married and change her name then. Otherwise, our legacy name is not going to be carried, carried I just think it's, I think it's too far. I think it's an indicator that it's too far. I, I guess I don't know if I should say it should be illegal or wrong. How the yeah. hell do you decide these things? I Who would have even thought that you'd have to have a law that says, like, don't. no jacking dead people's sperm? Yeah. <laughs> it kind of freaks me out because I was just thinking about, like, if this was done to me, 
I don't know. I guess like maybe he doesn't I don't care. Think it can be done to you. At, well, I'll take like can't you take oh, eggs? Oh, your eggs. Oh, dang. Do the same thing, right? Oh shit, that's that's pretty <laughs> heavy duty, I guess. Um, huh. well, whatever. And even if it couldn't be done to me, I could put myself in his shoes and say like, that's. I don't know if I'd like that. Um, but maybe he doesn't care because he's like dead and somewhere else or whatever. I don't think dead believe. people care. Yeah, so at I this point, that? well, you can believe that, sure. I don't think dead people care. Okay, that's okay. all. <laughs> that was the news. Um, okay, so today we're going to be doing a book review. Cammy, you recently read this book called Pure. Yep. You want to read the subtitle there and talk about the author and what, yeah. what this thing's about? Yes, this book is called Pure. Inside the Evangelical Movement that Shamed a Generation of Young Women and How I Broke Free by Linda K. Klein. I really enjoyed this book, like not in a way where it was like fun to read, but a lot of what I was reading was very familiar to me. And there was parts that were actually hard to read because it unearthed a lot of my emotions um, of what I went through as a girl and as a young woman. Can you give us a little sneak peek of what you went through as a girl? Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Well, she talks a lot about shame around uh, a woman's sexuality. And I, I definitely felt felt a lot of shame around my own sexuality and didn't really know like that I didn't know that my sexuality was mine and it was actually something that I don't know that so can you give us the two minute bio of like what what was your life like growing up from junior high or whatever your sexually formative years yeah how would you tell that story I I was a really reserved compliant good kid um i basically did everything i was told to do and i felt like i could never like my body like i I didn't feel like i could wear things i didn't want to wear things that uh, people could see my body so i like was make made sure i was well covered and a lot of that had to do with uh, how i was brought up with my beliefs and about my own body um and i don't so nothing like sexy oh no 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 i actually think i was ashamed of being a woman for uh, really up until like a few years ago like i think i actually didn't think that being a woman was as as good or as as being a man basically like there was oh, something to on. be my ash- ass hurts these chairs <laughs> are not comfortable i'm just that's a fact yeah that pressure <laughs> mm-hmm. but i yeah i felt like my sexuality my body or being a woman was something to be ashamed of um and in junior high i had a a relationship with my youth pastor that was abusive um predatory predatorial Yes, and I felt like I had to keep that totally secret. 
Um, Because that was your first sexual experience, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Predominantly emotional. And I didn't know how to deal with any of my emotions, and I didn't have anyone to turn to because no one talked about your your sexual emotions especially. So I just kind of carried it with me for five or six years as this was going on. And yeah, I... It, yeah, it was. I don't really think. I think I there was a large part. Like I think my sexuality, I repressed. Like I, I kind of turned off in a lot of ways. Like, so, what do you mean by that? I feel like repressed is a overused word. So, like, give tell me, give us some examples. Like it was there, but I, I didn't. I felt guilty over it. Like I felt guilty for any feelings I'd have for someone. Um, like any sexual, like even feeling turned on, like felt guilty to me, like that whole domain. Like you've, ne- you've never talked about getting turned on as a teenager. Yeah, I, I don't really remember. I, I, because I didn't really have, I didn't have the terminal. I didn't know what that was. So I'm sure it like happened. Actually, I know it happened, but I don't think. How do you know it happened? Well, because I would get, like, butterflies in my stomach when I would, like, see my youth pastor and, like, and I, I don't think I'd get, like, a lady boner. Or I don't even know. Like, those are the kind of things I don't, I can't really, because I don't think I had, I can't recall that kind of stuff because I don't think I had the language or awareness of it at the time. When you say lady boner. Yeah. What you mean? I just mean like you feel things down there. You're like, ooh. I mean, yeah. uh, girls don't have dicks, but they have other stuff, you know, like clitorises. And but I, I didn't even know what that was back then. I, I didn't even like really know. Problem. Like I don't even remember knowing that a guy had a penis. Like I was so sheltered's a nice word to say about that. <laughs> what? Well, okay. But so I think I was like neglected. Like my sexuality, my um, knowledge base about who I was in the world around me. I think I, I was ne- that whole part of me was neglected. Man, this is the good stuff. I feel like we should do like just I should just interview you and ask. I didn't know you're going to talk about me. I thought we were talking des- about this book. And have you described <laughs> lady boners? This is like <laughs> this is the good stuff. You're welcome out there, yeah, folks. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so let's fast forward to marriage. Then how's that? Yeah. So, I mean, our engagement, dating engagement period was, like, super fun for me. Yeah, it was. But it was also really guilt-ridden. Like, I didn't, I couldn't ever fully enjoy it. And then once we, this is the son of a bitch, right? Once we actually were married, and when I actually, at least according to this code that I used to believe, I could fully enjoy it, I couldn't. Because I had so much shame around a lot of things, but definitely my sexuality. So it turns out that getting married doesn't make, doesn't turn that off if you've been feeling that your whole life. No, no, it doesn't. Okay. Anything you want to say to just bring this story up to current day? I mean, I guess there's a lot from the last (laughs) five years, but let's just. Yeah. 
Um, I think for a really long time, like most of our marriage, I felt really tortured. Like my sexuality felt really tortured to me. Like I would enjoy it, but then I only a part of it. And then a huge part of it. I didn't, I didn't know how to enjoy. And I just, it was like, I, I kept wanting to just like push it away, push it away from me, push it away. Um, and, and we had a ton of conflict around sec our, well, just our sex life, married sex life. Um, and what hasn't been until the last few years were, I mean, I just remember going back again. I just remember when I was into this, like praying and was like, God, can you please fix me? Can you please, uh, make me whole or make whatever the pain I was feeling. Um, can you just take this away or, or I don't, I didn't even really know what, which I think it might be important and very pertinent to this discussion to say that physically everything functioned. Yeah. All your lady boners worked and you were having consistent, regular orgasms. Cause I think people might jump to that and be like, Oh, well maybe this is a medical thing, but you were, Physically, you were there and functioning, and technically, you were enjoying it. But, yeah, but, but... So what we're describing is actually emotional, right? Yes, but those physical and emotional are so interwoven together yeah. that you can't actually separate it. But I do know that some people have have medical issues. A lot of actually women's... Not all, but a lot of women's sexual dysfunction actually is because of their um, emotional well-being. Yeah, that's the point I'm trying to make. Mm-hmm. So someone yeah. might say, well, go see a doctor. But we've kind of, we've concluded that yeah, your... That wasn't the problem. The, this torture issue that you're talking about is not, was not from a physical... No. it was all psychological and emotional uh, issues I was dealing with, for sure. Yeah. So what hasn't been in since the last few years uh, where I have felt... I mean, really, it it actually came about like a lot of my, I would call it freedom and just being able to fully or at least more fully embrace my sexuality and your sexuality. That's the thing. Like once you can embrace your own, you can actually embrace other people's. And your kids. Including your kids. Absolutely. Um, But I don't think it's an accident that when I started shifting a lot of my beliefs about what I believed about God and what I believed about, uh, a lot of my, the pure, the purity stuff that I used to believe all of a sudden, like I just, a lot of stuff just started to fall away for me. So a little crash course, this book is titled pure, which is kind of a play on a word that was so common in our growing up. Yeah. It's almost kind of embarrassing to say the title of this book, but it's so appropriate too. But you, I think if you were just to say pure, people would think it's actually about how to be pure, like in this, in this code. Um, I was thinking about gold. Gold. Like pure gold. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I mean, I think to people outside of the religious culture, like they wouldn't even, might not even know what that word meant or how that word oh, was used. Oh, that's, that's true. Yep. But for us, it was synonymous with wholesome living. Mm-hmm. 
And I mean, I just want to give people a few examples that were the way we use this word or heard this word. Because now we call it purity culture, but that's kind of the derogatory. I don't think it's derogatory, but I think it, it puts it in its place and says this isn't necessarily a biblical belief. It's, it's a cultural code that some has possibly some overlap with the Bible, but also a lot of it's very independent from the Bible. And in purity culture, there was this call to be, quote unquote, pure, mm. to save yourself for marriage. There was this campaign called True Love Waits that was like really heavy at this time period. Yeah. That was like, don't have sex until marriage. There's no such thing as safe sex. There was purity rings, right. which you had, which was like you wear this thing until. And that's not biblical, but no. everyone had them, right? As if. As if your sexuality or virginity or whatever the hell you want to call it is something you could actually give away. Well, so there's even that. There was, yeah. you know, being a virgin was a, a badge of honor. Right. Yeah, I, which I definitely don't believe that anymore. But, yeah, what was I don't know what I was going to say. Um, oh, yeah. One of the things she talks about is that the funny thing about purity culture is there is no one code of purity. Like there's so many evangelical denominations and churches and tribes, whatever you want to call them, and they each have their own code. Like the Baptists, it's like no dancing. And then, you know, some people it's like no kissing. Some people it's like no holding hands. Like there are certain colleges where you couldn't like sit next to each other. Right. You know, that, uh, you go into a chapel service, they'd say you have to like leave room for the Holy Spirit in between mm-hmm. you, which was like the Holy Spirit, I think, was a book width. Yeah. That's uh, six inches. <laughs> yeah. Which shows how arbitrary this stuff was. I mean, it, 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 I guess it just shows that it's, it's a culture. So whatever culture you were part of defined that for you. So do you want to just like summarize this book? Yeah. So Linda K. Klein, she she just went on this journey because at, from the age of 12 or 13, I believe, she stepped into the evangelical culture and was like, like all in. And so she was definitely shaped and formed by this purity culture. Well, it eventually later on in life, it she had a lot of issues uh, as I think a lot of people do with what was she was told about herself and her sexuality and being able to then live a healthy, normal sexual life. And so she, she went on this journey where she to find wholeness for herself, but also um, I think she was really passionate or she is really passionate about, what this culture has done, um, specifically to women, but I, I think I, I would I, that equally has been done to men too, but in a different way. But she went specifically towards women because that was her experience, obviously. So she interviewed a bunch of women from um, all different kinds of evangelical denominations. Some of them were people she knew, some of them they weren't. And what I find really fascinating is that she spent 10 years so she interviewed these women and then 10 years later she interviewed them again and some of them declined but i think most of them she was able to re-interview and so she was able to even wonder why they would decline 
yeah. She she was even able to just track their journey at, in 10 years um, from, you know, maybe kind of a lot of them were hesitant to talk about it when they, she first talked to them. And then 10 years later, they were in a completely different place. Dude, that cat just walked past my leg and it freaked me out. It's like tail against <laughs> me. So, by the way, um, I was like trying to look up like what the definition of evangelical is oh it's pretty freaking broad yeah it is it's very of or according to the teaching of the gospel of the christian religion noun a member of the evangelical tradition in the christian church that's not that's kind of a cyclical so when we say evangelical we're referring to like a modern day a modern generation of christianity because evangelical has only been around i don't even know but it's like 30 40 year 50 years maybe okay so that's what we mean when we say yeah okay are we going to just jump into an excerpt from this book yep let's do it so the structure today is we're just going to be reading like uh three different passages and discussing them three or four i think Okay, so I'll just begin. That year, I began to piece together an epidemic that I have not been able to turn away from since. Evangelical Christianity's sexual purity movement is traumatizing many girls and maturing women haunted by sexual and gender-based anxiety, fear, and physical experiences that sometimes mimic the symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. Based on our nightmares, panic attacks, and paranoia, one might think that my childhood friends and I had been to war. And in fact, we had. We went to war with ourselves, our own bodies, and our own sexual natures, all under the strict commandment of the church. So, you know, as I read this... That sounds like brutal. It sounds brutal, and... I, f- I feel like people won't get it. Like, I f- like to, to even put it against war. When I hear that, that sounds like overly dramatic to me. It does. And my, but she has these stories and these stories of, of these women. And, and even those women, like, felt that way. Like, oh, I sh-, you know, they just minimized their pain because so much of, I mean, I, I kind of like liken it to um, mental illness. You know how mental illness is so misunderstood. Yeah, and for a long time, people yeah. were like, "Snap out of it." Yeah, because you can't see it. Like with a war, you can see. Oh my gosh! Like you had to kill people, and you almost got killed. It's very physical, right? But with this, it's not. It's so emotional and psychologically damaging that it's really hard. To pinpoint and see it like when you look at someone you're like well you look fine to me um but then there's these just stories of and of just like crazy uh like they're basically these women's bodies are starting to react to the trauma that they went through um so to define this trauma well i was gonna say like your body doesn't lie that's what's interesting to me like your body knows what it's been through we're not talking about rape or beatings or molestation we're talking about something else right 
And so can you read that last line again? Mm -hmm. We went to war with ourselves, our own bodies, and our own sexual natures. Okay, see, that... I'm saying it sounds dramatic to me, but I actually believe it. And here's why. I've seen that. Yeah. And I've felt that and been through that myself. And I consider Mm -hmm. myself pretty fucking resilient and robust. Like, I can take pain. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know how to handle the Christian teaching about the reality reality as I saw it. Because, mm-hmm. and I experienced it in sexuality, but I actually experienced it more acutely in other ways. Where there's so much emphasis on this idealistic of what should be. And this what should be is essentially asexual until marriage. Like masturbation is frowned upon. Premarital sexual activity of any kind is frowned upon Mm -hmm. and you're not supposed to get married in our culture until you're 20 at the earliest Mm -hmm. really like 25 to 30 so really you have this 15 year period minimum you know i'm taking from age 15 where you start to become sexual sexuality starts to express itself in your body more Mm -hmm. and your emotions and you have this part of you that's really unacceptable to your most important community and you have to essentially either push this part of you down or split which causes it to kind of like split off yeah from who you really are and that the long-term consequences of that I, I think that's the basis of ptsd yeah you have these experiences happen at war you don't know how to process them because you're not given those tools as a 20 year old dude so you suppress it Mm-hmm. And it comes out. It always comes out. You right. can't. Your body. Your body is, can't lie yeah. to suppress any part of who you really are. Right. So that's because sexuality, reading between the lines, is frowned upon, suppressed, and every, all the rest of it. Because they don't really say that. They don't say sex is bad. In fact, they say the opposite. That's what makes it a tricky son of a bitch. Because they're like, <laughs> sex is good. God made sex. But yet by not talking about it and not endorsing any version of it outside of marriage, then you're forced to come to the conclusion that's really the most natural one, which is actually you're saying it's bad. I mean, you're not saying it's bad, but you're saying it's bad. Right. And for me, I mean, just to give some context for people that aren't in the church, the church for me was more important to me than my parents. It was more formative to me than any teacher I had in school. My parents... Any mentor I've ever had, any book I've ever read, it was like the gatekeeper of like my eternal salvation and my eternal worth and being and my Mm -hmm. purpose. Mm -hmm. So what the church said or taught about sexuality directly or indirectly. Yeah, because I think it's it's really important to to state you if you didn't line up with these teachings. Ah, those are the dog <laughs> freaking out upstairs. If you didn't line up with these teachings, there was a lot at stake. It wasn't just that you would get kicked out of a group of people. I mean, that would be bad enough. But you also have hanging over your head. This, you're, you're taught, this is what God believes. So someday when you die, you're going to like face God and he's going to be like, how dare you? Yeah, I mean, there's just like these huge, huge threats, like looming 
overhead. So, I mean, it wasn't just this life. It was the next life, you know, that we're talking about here. Okay. Yeah. Next excerpt. Can't just smoke all the time now, huh? I got no, to do some hard work around work. here. Okay. The whole time, my childhood friends and I were being told that we were stumbling blocks. Our accusers were, even then, placing the real stumbling blocks before us. Purity-based shaming and judgmentalism that pushed many of us right out of the church. Okay, so I want to clarify that a little because that lingo might be unfamiliar to some. But Yeah, what's stumbling blocks? I think block? there yeah. is a, there's a verse in the New Testament, and I think it was Jesus maybe or one of those guys. And he said that you're going to be a stumbling block, meaning that you're going to obstruct people's faith. And growing up, that was used specifically towards women. And in fact, I heard Linda K. Klein talk about this in a podcast interview Hmm. where she said, because she had like, I think she's like a bigger woman where she had like curves or she was curvier and she was extroverted and outgoing. Yeah. So just by being a woman that had boobs or a butt or whatever and being out like an outspoken or extroverted like boisterous type of personality right she was called a stumbling block like all the time like, just by basically existing. for existing <laughs> yeah. so she's always trying to change it's kind of like what you said how it was like pretty arbitrary mm-hmm. it's always like kind of there there's never no one could ever point to an exact it's kind of like oh you're being too flirty mm-hmm. you know or your clothes are she, she said that she always got cast as the the sexual woman like if there was like some kind of play like they would she's the harlot yeah they would put her oh my gosh probably because which what she said in this interview was that she was being referred to as an object a stumbling block Mm -hmm. more than a person yeah but okay so i was just really trying to provide that context of what, what a stumbling block was but what she's saying is more than her being the actual stumbling block for male sexuality in real life what the church did to her mm-hmm. or these people really yeah was far more of a stumbling block to them because the judgmentalism and the shame which by the way are things that jesus was much more hardcore about and anti than any oh, yeah. sexual ethic or code right they the church has created a far bigger issue which is the whole point of this book i guess of jacking people up with shame and judgment than she ever did by causing a guy to like get a boner. Yeah. Is that it? You don't have anything else to say about that? No, I think you you pretty much summed it up. Oh, all right. Good job. I didn't even read the book. <clears throat> so this kind of goes with what I just said, goes along with it. The first stumbling block those raised as girls in the purity movement must overcome is the message that if you are suffering, it's your fault. It may be your sin, it may be your psychosis, but it is certainly not the shaming system you find yourself in. So the system, and this has been my experience, the system has to be protected above all, like, it doesn't matter if there's casualties of people on the wayside protect the system now it was never called the system it's it was called 
what God wanted. The body of Christ. Or, yeah, all these... The community, the These lingo, spiritual lingo, uh, that made it seem like it was the only way to view life. Um... Can you read the first line again? Yeah. The first stumbling block those raised as girls in the purity movement must overcome is the message that if you are suffering, it's your fault. See, I suffered. It kind of pisses me off a little bit. This is just towards women, but I guess that's just her angle because I feel like the guy part is is underrepresented. Yeah, totally. I mean, this. I don't think she... And I, guess, I even think she talks about that. I guess the last excerpt bit. we're going to read is about that. But, mm-hmm. you know, as a guy, I was taught any sexual thought I have is sin and it offends and hurts God and it offends and hurts basically the girls around me and my future wife. So let's say I see this chick and I'm like, you know, I'm a horny 18 year old and I'm like, man, she'd be awesome looking naked. Or can we just say you're human? I mean,. Let's just say you're human. <laughs> you have to, which encompasses all that, but. I don't know what you're saying, but okay, I'm human. Yeah. Well, I feel like the system called you to be less than human. Like you had to be kind of a robot. Yeah, but we didn't know, we didn't call it that at the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was just a dude and I would get a boner thinking about this naked girl. A that dude, she was wearing clothes. A dude boner. <laughs> that's redundant Whatever. um and but i was taught that this desire like it was my fault and it was wrong like it was unnatural and i shouldn't have this so then i have to pray it away confess it away do yeah. some sort of like r- retribution to change mm. um you know read more scripture or you know find more accountability or yeah. whatever it would be but come to find out that only gives more power to that type of sexuality i think what you resist persists that's Mm -hmm. the psychological phrase that we've been believing more and more lately and so you know people wouldn't exactly say it's your fault but when the system represents that you know essentially a singleness is asexual then when you experience sexuality as a single or heck as a married person thinking about another naked woman whatever it would be or mm-hmm. a dude thinking about a dude right then you're total it's you totally believe it's your fault hmm. and this is where like well you think there's something wrong with you when there's yeah. actually because no one talked about with you no one would talk about and this is where, like, getting into the Catholic Church and the priests molesting little kids, like, I get it. Like, not that that justifies what they're doing, but they don't have a way to talk about it. They're told they're not sexual, but the, they are. Right. And it has to come out. So it comes out somewhere. And it can't come out with, you know, marriage because you're not allowed to be married. So, you know, the system is... But instead of pointing out the system and saying it's flawed... I mean, they must feel terrible months of guilt and I'm not even getting into like rightfully so blah, 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 all that, but it's doomed to failure to begin with. So to me, this reminds me of the black sheep episode we did where we talked about, you know, I mean, I I do think you were right with the first thing you said, where it's just like, 
if you don't fit in, the system's not going anywhere. It doesn't budge. Mm. It doesn't move. And I think it's important to say that a lot of times the system is not biblical. And I, it's, you know, the more I've been fascinated by the teachings of Jesus himself, one of the things he primarily did was disrupt the system of the time. And I think we feel like we've evolved and created a better one that Jesus somehow endorses. Yeah. But it's like weaponized to protect a class system, basically, that I think is pretty equivalent to the the types of people that Jesus would get really pissed off about. Yeah. So the next excerpt is actually a story. And I think I'll just try to read just a few paragraphs so that you get a feel for this story. Um, So this is a girl that I think she was interviewing and uh, she ba- she basically had this panic attack, and this is this is the story about that. One day, I went to my anthropology class, and I was feeling really weird. I started low-level shaking. I went back to my room, and my heart just started beating so fast. I'd never felt anything like this. I couldn't stop it. The shaking took on a greater rising. Then I remember I tried to stand up, and I fell on the ground. I thought I was having a heart attack. I really thought that I might be having a heart attack. I called one of my closest friends. He ran over to my apartment and took me to, I can't remember, but I ended up at the hospital. A doctor gave me Valium, which made me, my body be like, her name's Scarlett. Scarlett made the sound of a robot shutting down. The doctor was a Greek woman who I really liked. She asked, can you tell me what you think brought this on? I said, I think I'm not supposed to be with my boyfriend. I recognize how embarrassing that was to say when I was in the hospital, but I really thought this is what brought it on. I hadn't told her anything about myself, but her second question to me was, did you have sex with him for the first time? And do you feel ashamed and bad about that? I wonder what led her to see somebody having a panic attack and think, I grew up in a very, very evangelical state, Scarlett interrupted me. It is a hotbed of evangelicism. Almost everybody there. There are almost no liberal Christian people really at all. Scarlett said, seemingly implying that she might not be the first person this doctor saw whose religious sexual shame manifested as a panic attack. So, um, if I remember right, it's, it's not even, yeah, it's, I don't even think she had sex, but it was just like, not that that even matters, but it just shows you that it's, it's such a psychological emotional trauma state that she was in that even the possibility of her having any type of sexual relationship with someone brought this panic attack on for her yeah there's like consequences from this shit i mean so we were married and we're having sex and you're in like tears consistently first five years yeah and you're not in any physical pain right i mean sometimes sex was painful but i think that's not why you're in tears yeah and yeah i don't know i think it was like a mixed thing i don't even know like i just know i was so like i felt like i needed to just submit and be dutiful and my point is it was emotional yeah oh i think so yeah i think and but which which is tied to yeah I think most of it was, yeah. 
you're saying some of it was physical? Um, I just think when you're, I think kind of the way the body works is if you're not into sex, like your body doesn't actually lube up. And so that actually, it is more painful for the woman. Like, I think all that took place for me. Yeah. Okay. A little sex ed class for you guys here. (laughs) Well, I just don't like in my recollection, that wasn't like, what was the byproduct of the tears? I'm just saying like this stuff. I mean, you didn't have anxiety attacks, but yeah, I think it was it was it was really deep. Like I didn't really know why I was crying. Yeah, right. But yeah. no one was like pinching. You couldn't like point to a part of your body and say no, that hurts. No. Okay, that's what I mean. No. So there was something deep going on where you were like super conflicted. Yeah. And to this day, we don't like fully understand it, except for when we read books like this, we're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And I want to point to another um, story because this type of stuff, you know, some people. I think they're just like, oh, well, that's just fucking life. You just, like, deal with it. Those are the cards you're dealt. Let's, like, get used to it. No. Like, we're not about that. Like, I want freedom for us, and I want freedom for our listeners from... And I think there's another story that's possible. And maybe we're not going to get there in this lifetime, like, full healing or whatever, but to at least point to the thing and say, oh, that there's a better way than that, and we're going to work towards healing... That's what I want to be about. So to, to look at that and to say, oh, there's a better way where you don't have to cry every time you have sex with someone that loves you and that's a part of your family and that you're committed to. Um, not that we didn't have our problems, but I'm not going to fucking disclaim our marriage. But, you know, we like we had been together for a long time and everything else. A lot of other things were good. Um, yeah. And. You know, I guess just the point I'm making is like, there's a huge consequence to this. You know, I mean, the anxiety attacks, those seem like extreme and we didn't have that. Like, that's like a medical condition, I guess. Like, Mm -hmm. and we can't, probably a lot of people don't relate to that exactly. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of things short of that also. And another example I have, probably more current day, is masturbation. Like, you've never enjoyed masturbation. I can't Mm. really enjoy masturbation in front of you Mm. because to me, and I can do all sorts of shit. Like I've been skydiving. I can tattoo my body for 12 hours at a time. Mm -hmm. I can hike the fucking 2000 mile Appalachian trail with a kid on my back. Mm -hmm. Like I can do stuff I put my mind to, but I can't masturbate in front of Cammy because to this day, there's so much shame around this activity and wrap your mind around this for a second. Like even for the Christians, like, that's like touching myself in front of my wife that I've been married to for 20 years. So that's like heavy. That's like weird. You know, that's like, yeah. there's some sort of block there where it's like, that's not freedom. Hmm. I mean, it's one thing if I choose not to, mm-hmm. but to not be able to, I mean, that's not an anxiety attack, but it might be just as crippling or mm-hmm. limiting because we don't know what the potential we don't know what we're missing out on and i guess that's what you know mm-hmm. that'd be my encouragement to some of these listeners i think if you're dealing with sexual shame or pain it doesn't even need to be sexual um and if you're settling you know i think a lot of people it's just not worth it to try and get help or to try and change or to try and talk to their spouse or partner and they're saying like well you know i've gotten used to it like what's the big deal well you never know the cost you're paying until you've been on the other side of it 
Yeah. And you've really lived life without that type of pain and suffering and you've got healing. Right. And what I what I've seen in our experience is every single time we've moved on and got healing and been through all the bullshit to weed the stuff out and feel the pain and mourn the loss and all the hard work that goes into that, never once have I looked back and said, Oh, that wasn't worth it. I wish I was back in my previous state. Never once. Yeah. So I think if you take a gamble and if you're like, oh, I'm going to face this for this supposed freedom that you mm. don't know because you've never experienced it, but maybe you can just like trust someone to know that it's there, mm -hmm. that you're not going to regret it. Hmm. No, I don't think so. Okay, last story, and this is about a guy. So here you go. Go ben. for it. Wait on me. <clears throat> Though purity culture messaging about girls and boys is very different, the gender-based messages are absorbed by all. For instance, boys hear girls being told that they must cover their bodies and avoid flirtation in order to protect themselves from boys and men's uncontrollable sexual virility. What does that say about men? Some of these boys may find themselves wondering, or more specifically, what does that say about me? Several years ago, writer David Ellis Dickerson spoke about his experience as a young evangelical man on the radio program, This American Life. At one point, David called up his childhood friend, Derek, the son of a missionary, and they exchanged stories. I uh, developed a technique of seeing girls as just floating heads, Derek admitted to David. You just learn you're just not, not going to look below the neck. I was a cartoonist for my college newspaper, and I didn't actually know how to draw girls, really. I mean, you can see, you can see when I would draw a female figure uh, top to bottom in a cartoon, there's an awkwardness to it because I didn't actually know what they looked like, Derek laughed. It's funny to look back and talk about them now, but it was all very dead serious back then. David understood. He did notice women's bodies, and the shame was tantamount. He recalled, On warm days, I would walk across campus feeling like a monster because I believed that noticing a girl's body was the spiritual equivalent of something like sexual assault. Every accidental glimpse of cleavage or a little extra leg was terrible, and at the same time, wonderful. Eventually, he found himself walking around campus, the library, the supermarket, perpetually hoping to see another accidental glimpse of something finally he admitted his secret to his pastor his pastor advised him to go to sex addicts anonymous when david a 22 year old virgin told his story to the group of gathered sex addicts there was as one might expect an awkward silence a few days <laughs> a few days later he went to a christian counselor the counselor advised him to go home and masturbate to david's great shock he bought a porn magazine, went home, masturbated, and as he tells it, was immediately cured. It felt like a miracle, he said. It was so fast, so life-changing, that it was like converting all over again. I don't believe that stories such as David's and his friends are as uncommon as many might first assume. As my interviewee Joe said, women are taught their bodies are evil, men are taught their minds are. I buy that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's what was interesting to me about this story was that everyone's affected. And even whatever is told to first of all there's these gender binary roles in this system where 
girls fit here, boys fit here, and they're told different things, and it all impacts all of them. Um, but it's crazy to be taught a part of yourself is evil. That's crazy. Unless it's true. Right, which is what which, they believe. Which is what they believe. They believe in original sin and all this, like that that humans are actually at their core bad and they need to be saved from their badness. Which is it this book or is it the other book you're reading where like that concept, which is this idea that um you know, sin entered the world when Adam and Eve were there and that is basically the res- uh, the cause of everything negative you see happening today that that's a relatively new belief augustine in the fifth century he he put that up there but before that it was just like creation's good and that's like what god said in the bible creation's good creation's good and then creation's very good um yeah so that is and yeah the history it's interesting to know about when you know about history then you realize, oh, these things haven't always been, and a lot of this stuff is so subjective, and it's just passed down. Which we've talked about this quite a bit, but the what we've learned, the irony is when you try and ignore sexuality, sexuality becomes your obsession. Even ignoring it becomes your obsession. Yeah. And I learned this with money. You know, as a Christian, I was obsessed with not having money. I thought money was bad. I wanted, I didn't want to be rich. I didn't want to think about money. So therefore, all I thought about was not having money. I like made it my goal to not have money and to not be seen with a brand name, whatever the heck. So we sat around bragging about how cheap our jeans were. Hmm. But the tragedy is we were just as obsessed, if not more obsessed, than the people who actually had nice shit. We, hmm. And we didn't even get the nice shit. Yeah. <laughs> so when you go around trying not to think about sex, trying not to address this part of you, I think it tends to take on this mythical power and sex for me most of my life was this like i was like not allowing myself to have it but deep down i believed that if i ever did you know i had this like prayer almost that was like i wanted like god to come back but after my wedding night because <laughs> i thought like if this thing is that if this thing is that prohibited mm, it's it gotta be, be awesome yeah and it you know it kind of was i'm not yeah. gonna downplay it but it wasn't it wasn't so life-changing that it's like i i don't think think it it was so good it didn't need to be unnecessarily mythically more powerful Mm -hmm. than it already is well and then you were never you weren't able to enjoy your sexuality until you get married what about the poor fuckers who never get married (laughs) it's like jeez they're poor fuckers (laughs) I, I want to share this last one. Because, okay, but we got a jam here because okay. we're 54 minutes in. Because this does talk about a lot of good things that I think is important to talk about. Okay. Generally speaking, purity culture excuses male sexuality and amplifies female sexuality. And it shames consensual sexual activity and silences non-consensual sexual activity. I'm going to read that one more time. Hang on, I told you we're on a deadline here. You're trying okay. to read it twice? Yes. Generally speaking, purity culture excuses male sexuality and amplifies female sexuality. And it shames consensual sexual activity and silences non-consensual sexual activity. 
Sexual violence perpetrated by those within the community in particular is strictly censored as it challenges the pure impure binary upon which the purity movement is based. The binary demands that predators are outsiders, those seven out of ten rapes are perpetrated. Sorry. Holy crap, now you're reading more? Just a minute. Perpetrated by someone known to the victim. And 55% of sexual assaults take place at or near a victim's home. One of the results of othering perpetrators is that victims can be psychologically unprepared to protect themselves when threats come from closer to home than they ever imagined they could. I thought this was really, really interesting. Because to me, it's like another cost of the system. If you, like you can't actually protect people when you, when something is so off limits. Like when it happens to them, then, you know, like there's a story in this book about a, a brother and a sister. And the brother sexually abuses the sister. And the parents really don't, don't do anything. Like they're they're just like, oh, hey, cut it out, cut it out, you know, and they don't actually see how, well, maybe, I don't know, they can't look at it. They can't actually look at it because there's so much shame around sexuality for themselves. Well, that's what happened with you and the youth pastor. Yeah. I mean, it was happening to multiple girls and nothing happened to him. Well, he got like maybe let go of the job, but nothing, no charges were pressed or like nothing. Mm -mm. He was even still like working at a school. Like no one told anyone. Well, I ended up, someone helped me when I was 18 file a report, but that was a, a few years later. Okay, so great conversation. Yeah. Uh, would you recommend this book or who would you recommend it to? I would recommend this book to if you have been part of, like if any of this sounds familiar to you, you've been part of a culture that it was had a lot of these same beliefs um, or you have a lot of these same issues or the second part of the second group of people I would recommend this to is just if you know someone who has so that you can understand better what they're going through. Okay. How many stars out of 10 do you give this? Nine. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I'm really, I, I think she did an amazing job and I'm, I'm really passionate about it. And I just think for someone to actually stand up and write this out and take 10 years to do it and so much of it's her own story yeah okay so uh two things one is if you want to buy this book we'll put a link below if you use our link below it's an amazon affiliate link and i think we get like 10 cents or 30 cents or 50 cents or something Mm -hmm. if you buy it with our link and this is not in lieu of the chair fund by the way you cheap bastards like <laughs> so don't buy the book there and then think that oh i contributed to the chair fund that's for the college age fund because we don't have a college fund um but that helps us out it really does and then in addition to that if you want to buy the book and read it and then if you want to start discussing it in the fight for together discussion group i think that'd be cool and some people are gonna be like oh well there's boys in there there's girls in there or whatever the hell you're gonna have to grow up and Everyone deals with this problem. You have to let me if people let me know if people are doing that because I, I want to get you're in on get that a discussion. Account? Oh no, the seizures! <laughs> All right. Oh man, this cigar smoke is going straight in my <laughs> mouth. What's it doing there? <laughs> it reminds me of that uh, that gay joke where the guy's like, 
Why are all these gay people putting their dick in my asshole? <laughs> Maybe you're gay. Um, okay. Um, it is now time for the phone line. Hi, Ben and Cammy. My name is Beth Adams, and my husband and I watch your show, uh, your vlog, and listen to your podcast. We're recent followers and just wanted to question um, you about your last podcast. You had mentioned about porn, and I guess you really didn't mention porn, but you had said watching sex was um, fascinating, which I guess I would agree, but do you think it's okay is my question. Um, what are your beliefs about porn? And I know that you're in recovery for sex addiction, but do you believe it's okay in a Christian marriage to watch porn? Uh, I would love to hear more about that. Great, Beth Adams. You sound like a super fan. That's extra credit. Like, listen to, what you say, all the videos and the podcasts with her husband even? I know. That's like, that's bonus points yeah. or something. Um, okay, porn. It's interesting, yes, um, to a certain degree. Um, what did she say? Is it okay? And do we yeah, think it's okay? I don't have, I don't have a problem with it as long as, like, in a marriage, I think it's a good idea to discuss it. And if one person is like really not okay with it, I I think it's probably a good idea to like flesh that out further <laughs> but i don't think it's like i just think that might cause problems with the I think relationship that's a, i think that's a separate topic yeah because i would say that about eating at arby's it, totally yeah okay yeah so i don't have any problem with watching porn um and this is not just marriage this is any partnership or just any person right i mean mm-hmm. So I, I don't think we have a distinction between single or married. Like it's okay for married people but not single people or something like that. Um, what's helped me, I mean, since you're asking, I think I understand maybe where you're coming from, which we were taught porn is wrong. Um, and like I just said in the previous comment, I feel like that gives it this power where it's like it's sex, but it's just sex. And I mm-hmm. get that it's like really interesting at first, you know, because mm-hmm. especially as a young boy i had never seen anything like that and mm-hmm. it's it was so taboo and that's what made it so interesting to me but as i've seen other cultures and as, as we've been exposed to more porn it really is not that interesting or it, it loses its interest and i now i see it like i do cartoons it's really exaggerated and shallow and it has its place like cartoons are interesting but you know are cartoons wrong no they're just cartoons like mm-hmm. they're fake and they have their place they're like entertaining um but i don't think consensual people having sex is wrong i don't think um nudity is wrong i don't think people getting aroused um by anything in particular is wrong in and of itself if you choose to act and violate someone else like minors or someone unconsensually i I believe that's where it starts to be wrong um now, you asked an interesting little twist at the end. You said, is it okay for Christian marriage? Which, just to toss this in there, Christian marriage, like we kind of talked about, it's a system of rules. And by definition, Christian cultural marriage in a purity culture defines that most of the time as some form of adultery. So 
you know, I wouldn't define our marriage as a Christian marriage. Our marriage is just a marriage. Um, and our friendships are just friendships. They're not Christian mm-hmm. friendships. It's not Christian school. It's not Christian marriage. It's not our Christian house or Christian life and our Christian podcast. Because, and and I'm, I'm saying that somewhat sardonically, but also, like, I think that really, you know, that lingo was something we grew up with. And it really was saying, are you going to fit this institution into this other institution? And we used to, but we don't anymore. We found it too restrictive and a net negative. Well, I think we used to see it as a very binary black or white thing. So like the Christian marriage is the the sacred thing. And then porn is the unsacred or evil thing. And now I just I, I just see it as like people I don't know, I just don't see it like that. Yeah, and you can that. probably go through stages of watching too many cartoons, I guess. Yeah. Where you decide it's not healthy for you or you don't want to do it anymore. Oh, you know what I forgot to mention in the previous topic, but I think it applies here. Is because some people are like, well, it's dangerous, porn is. Well, okay, fine. And so is premarital sex and not using condoms and getting AIDS and a bunch of other things that we were warned about as kids. But what this book brings up is that there's a danger to going the other direction and using shame as a mechanism to prohibit it. And that's what this book highlights. So I think what I want to do is have my eyes wide open to consequences on all sides so that we can make educated decisions as adults. Great question. Hey, Ben and Cammie. This is Julie Wolf in Kentucky. I left a message, and obviously it was too long, so I'm going to try to shorten this up. So delete the other one. Um, I've been watching you guys since uh, you were on the AT, and we are always inspired by you. And um, today's podcast um, about the three, three things that you learned during the marathon really spoke to me and kind of uh, turned a light switch on for me. Um, I've been um, – I've wanted to accomplish 50 hikes by the time I turned 50. Well, that came and went because of an injury, and I'm not exactly sure when I'll be able to complete that. But it's not just me doing it. It's me and my family. We all hike together, so it all kind of ties in together with um, the relationship, accomplishing things together and doing hard things together and, you know, encouragement and all that, all of that. But um, what I, my question for you guys is, um, so what do you do when – you aren't able to accomplish that goal or you have a hiccup or, um, you know, it's, it all kind of works together. The, if you can't do something physically, then the mental um, stamina fails too, I think. So um, what would be your advice or on how to regain that? And if you've had an experience with that in the past, if you would share that, I would appreciate it. I love you all, and um, I appreciate you sharing your life with us, and um, I just hope that you continue to do so for a long time. Thanks. Bye. It's kind. Julie, she she comments all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, she in her previous message, she said that she listened to this marathon podcast, and she had kind of a crappy attitude about it, <laughs> and she was like, this is going to suck. I've heard everything they say about marathons, and then she said it was like her favorite podcast of all time, Yeah, and I was like, whoa. Um, so, yeah, that was really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, this, mm. is a, this is a fun question for me. Um, yeah, go for There's it. two things I would say. 
about setting goals. One is our best goals are weekly goals. I mean, the Appalachian Trail was fun, but the Appalachian Trail was not worth it if we put our weekly goals on hold for our lifetime to achieve a bucket list type thing. And this 50 hikes by the age of 50, it sounds a bit like a a bucket list type activity, like a big meta goal, which I don't think those are bad, but I think the, the most power to us are in the weekly things that we can achieve today. Or when I say today, I mean this week, um, because that's where life happens. And it's in the course of living a bunch of good weeks that we want to look back and then say, oh, we like lived a good life. So what I would advise hearing your situation is to take the elements as much as possible that you, the reason why you did the 50 and 50 um, goal. goal, like what did you want from that? It sounded like you wanted to do something difficult, something challenging, something that got you outside and something that brought your family together. Well, if you just take those things and you ask, how can you implement those values every week i'd be interested to hear what you come up with Hmm. you know how could you get outside with your family and do something physical and challenging with people that you care about every week at least attempt to do that every week Mm -hmm. what would you come up with and it might be hopefully it would be like in your city it would be attainable it might not be the thing is with these goals they're not as epic and grand as 50 and 50 or a through hike or a marathon or jumping out of an airplane or biking across the world or whatever, you know, you don't get as much credit. So people don't think they're as sexy, but I think, I think that's the most sexy thing ever. I actually think it's those goals, those weekly goals that are even enable you to ever do the epic things. Totally agree. Yeah. Totally. Agree. But what do you do? I think she also asked the question, like, what do you do if you find yourself not being able to do a bucket list goal? I think there, I think there's like, um, more like you have to kind of mourn that like that's sad you know that would be really disappointing if you set to do this thing and then you have things beyond your control that happen and you're not able to do it yeah maybe i mean like i i think that could be a reality but you know i wanted to have three books written this year that was like my version of a bucket list goal it's not going to happen sometimes you have these wake-up calls right where you're just like oh that doesn't mean I can't still do great things. Well, I could but... be in perpetual disappointment right now. Yeah. Or I could just say, that was unrealistic, and I'd rather just commit to three hours a day of doing hard work of creating content. And eventually, And maybe it's books gonna... will get written. Maybe they won't. Like, yeah. who cares? Yeah. Like, you know, if I'm doing the best I can or three hours a day, Yeah. that's, you know, sometimes the, it's in the journey, not the destination, you know, that cliche thing. I actually think that's true. Yeah. I mean, in in maybe a time sense where, you know, do, do the week, live a good week. Well, mm-hmm. great question. Yeah. Hi, Faith here from Los Angeles, California. I watched the vlog today, May 14th vlog where Cammy shares about losing baby John seven years ago. Um, she touches on the concept of grief in the vlog and mentions that she really fully immersed herself in grieving the son that she lost. Um, so that got me thinking to ask you guys um, to share some of your own experiences with grief. 
um, as well as some helpful tools and resources you could recommend for those who are grieving their own losses, whether it be a death or some other sort of loss that needs grieving. Um, I've heard of grief mentioned as something that you must voluntarily enter into, um, and I just feel like as a culture we're not taught how to grieve, um, and therefore bad things may keep happening to us that we never fully grieve. So I was hoping you guys could share some of your insights. Thanks so much. Yeah, that's a really a good thing to talk about um i mean i feel like these last she was asking us to share some experiences yeah i feel like these last couple years i've had to grieve multiple things at the same time like losing a lot of friendships some family our entire community yeah um even grieving i mean we talk about I mean, even grieving past beliefs, um, where you just, you all of a sudden you find yourself, like if you've believed something your whole life and then all of a sudden you don't, I think that's actually something you have to grieve as well. And yeah, I do think it's a voluntary thing. Like I think you have to um, immerse yourself in it. I mean... When our baby died, all I remember was we made this choice to not medicate ourselves, which meant like we just we tried not to like zone out on TV or drugs. I mean, that that wasn't really our thing so much. Um, You know, sex is probably another one that would be easy to use to medicate. But um so we didn't do that and we just had this goal for a month we were just gonna like be together and cry and we did that and it hurt like hell and then it didn't it like went away like slowly Mm -hmm. we felt it and then we felt it a little less but i feel like we experienced like like the pain, I mean, this is there's this whole belief about like what pain is like, and that it's a gift, um, not a curse. And I mean, we believe this like very, um, very deeply, which is why we don't mind doing things like the Appalachian Trail because, in our culture, I think that is so comfort oriented. When you have pain, we're experts in our culture at removing the pain, or avoiding the pain. And that's very problematic if you view pain as actually a gift that's actually like an indicator on your dashboard that tells you there's something wrong, there's something missing from your life. And there's whether something be, you need to address here. Yeah. Yeah. And, or something that you're able, that, because uh, I don't like to see it as a rule either, like, oh, you have to address this. But if you mm-hmm. do, it's better for you in the long run. Yeah. Um, like if your gas is out, you don't have to get more gas. But if you don't, your car's going to stop going. <laughs> right. Um, it's kind of like that. So right. I also think like the body is so beautiful in this way, like and amazing and intelligent. Where if you don't grieve something, eventually the body does it for you. 
It's kind of crazy that way, actually. It, it, you actually involuntarily grieve. <laughs> so what's been helpful to us? I think what's been helpful to us is um, processing it, which for us has looked like conversations. You know, someone in the previous question talked about me being in um, sexual recovery, which I'm not anymore. I haven't been for the last two or three years, but I was for eight years. And in those eight years, it was really helpful because it was a place where I could process things. In these meetings, I could just share and talk about what I was feeling and what I was struggling with every week. And now we have 12-step meetings as a family. Or there's, It's just a place where you can just talk about what's actually happening. Not what you wish was happening, not what should be happening, not what you want to be happening, but just what is. And so we talked. We had been trained in that those kind of like techniques, and we just did that, like just listen. So that was a safe environment there. And then I think we probably like journaled a fair amount, like in various ways. Um, I don't remember how. I mean, like, you know, I, I think Faith has seen, but we made this video, this music video, and, and played this song and stuff like that. But that was a way for us just to like face it, um, to just say this happened. You know, we took pictures of the, the baby and the, we all held the baby and we had a funeral and we buried the baby and you know, the kids cried and drew pictures. And I mean, those are just, there's no answer to this, but those are all just ways that we did it. Hmm. And then you have that book you worked through. Was that helpful? Yeah. I mean, at the time it was. Grief recovery handbook. Mm -hmm. Would you recommend that? I would recommend it if you're really, if you're actually really going through something very acute. Um, Cause it, 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 was hel- it was helpful cause it felt like something I could do. <laughs> Uh, while I was going through it. Right. Hi, this is Cliff from Florida. Um, I uh, really like video games. I like old video games, new video games, and video game history, and reading about video games, watching things about video games. And I uh, hear y'all talk about uh, video games in almost always a negative context. Um, alternatively, you talk about things like uh, Netflix and Game of Thrones pretty positively. And uh, so personally, I've always kind of thought of video games as a, uh, an art form and um, a storytelling avenue that is in a lot of ways superior to, to those types of uh, media where you just sort of sit there and consume it, but where you can actually interact with it. So I'm wondering um, why, you, why you think those types of activities are superior, or even if you do, to, uh, to video games. I didn't know we put on. I, I can totally see maybe how we that vibe got interpreted that way, but I didn't know. That's helpful to hear that. That's. I don't remember ever saying things positive about Netflix. I feel like I'm always talking shit about Netflix too. We talked about Fortnite, so maybe he's talking about like we're talking about like. Well, I think he's probably catching a vibe. That's probably true. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. And yeah, me too. I mean, my answer is. I don't think video games are inferior, but I think my experience makes me feel like they are. Um, Just the way I grew up, it was always like, you know, what are you going to be inside playing video games all day? It was just this like negative connotation. Mm -hmm. And I never played the types of games that had story. So I never came to appreciate that art Mm -hmm. form. I hated RPGs. Um, What's that? It's like uh, Final Fantasy. Yeah, role-playing game. Oh, okay. so it's like Final Fantasy and like, well, there's, you know, even Zelda, I think, was like one of the first oh, RPGs, yeah. um, which I hated Zelda. But 
but Mario had a fucking great storyline. I mean, <laughs> saving the princess and all that. Uh, oh, Mario. Thank <laughs> you. Um, so, yeah, you know, that's, I think that's, that's good. I'm glad you brought that out because yeah. I'm sure other people feel that way. And um, I think it's probably just the way our story is. It's a blind spot where I don't really have an appreciation for that art form. But I don't want to talk shit about but it But even either. hearing Cliff, his appreciation for it helped me be like, oh, I probably have no idea like yeah. how cool and helpful and, like he said, an art these things actually are yeah so that's cool and i do have i don't i mean if we were to really get into it you know i think i do i'm more attuned to the negative aspects of the alternate reality world that video games can be but i think just like porn or anything else we've discussed there's pros and cons Mm -hmm. and you know i'm sure there's dangers to living in an alternate reality um but i don't see them as bad or less than on paper i just think that's just like how we feel about it so great question Mm -hmm. thanks for asking that um okay that's all we got for today a long one today yeah um i i thought it was good though i think yeah it was fun hearing you talk about that book uh i don't even have the phone number in front of me i think it's 206-651-5744. 206-651-5744. Well, I have it memorized. Nice. That's it. 206-651-5744. Got to dust off the, <clears throat> if you the memory call. bank. And I really don't want to just talk shit passive-aggressively about the chairs, but the situation with the chairs is this. We're sitting on these shitty chairs. We've been sitting on them for an hour and 21 minutes and 29 seconds as of now. And we have a chair fund over here. If you guys would like to contribute that, you're totally welcome. Under no obligation to, but every dollar is appreciated. And there's links to that below there's links to the book below um th- and we'll definitely talk about it if you donate money oh yeah <laughs> we 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 definitely like to like the opposite of shame whatever that is those people um and um the phone number is below and all that stuff thanks for the questions this week hope this was helpful we love getting comments the best way to leave comments is on the youtube channel the podcast youtube channel under the episode we read all those um that's it great thanks guys what one of these days i'm gonna actually get that thank you for listening to fight for together we'll see you next time one of these days we're gonna hire a tech Uh, person